Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the indwelling of the tabernacle of God in our hearts as we finish our Thursday through Friday message series this month on the tabernacle. And this message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. We have had a wonderful time studying the tabernacle. This has been, as you've seen, God's object lesson built over 3,000 years ago. But the big question that stands in front of us right now is, does the tabernacle have any relevance for us today? Can the message of the tabernacle help us in our personal lives? The message of the tabernacle is as relevant to our lives today as it was to the lives of those who lived 3,000 years ago. We're going to look at the tabernacle in a different way. We're going to see how to apply the meaning of the tabernacle. So we're going to look at the tabernacle from where we are outside the tabernacle and see its relevance as we go in the opposite direction of what the Bible teaches, but from man to God. Now we start where we find ourselves outside the tabernacle and we're looking along all those outer walls and we notice that there's only one door into the tabernacle, just one door. And we immediately understand that this speaks of God's only way for a man to come to him from outside that single door and seeing no other door, we understand the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we repeat the words of Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Then as we prepare to enter the tabernacle through that single door, we keep saying to ourselves, this is the door. There's no other door. This is the only door. And we're saying that to ourselves as we stoop down and come through that only door. And right when we're just in the middle of the door, while still moving, we repeat the words of John fourteen six. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And now we're inside the outer court, inside the tabernacle. And now in this outer court, we sense our need for cleansing. So we immediately make our way over to the laver. And the closer we get to the laver, the more we feel inside of us this need to get very, very honest with God. And we repeat the words of 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight as we walk toward the laver, but let a man examine himself. And then as we bend over the laver to wash ourselves, and that's when we see those mirrors which are in the bottom of the laver. And seeing those mirrors, of course, we see ourselves And looking more at ourselves in those mirrors, we think and repeat the words of Peter. In Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And still looking at ourselves in those mirrors, we repeat the words of Isaiah the prophet. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And still, 
looking at ourselves in the mirrors of the laver, we think of and we repeat the words of the publican in Luke 18.13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And still looking at those mirrors in the laver, we repeat the words of Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then thinking back over our lives, we wondered, why did we sin against God? Why? And we become so frustrated with our failures. And we see the problem is we never overcame self within us. We think of Eve in the Garden of Eden, and we think that we are just like Eve when she yielded to those very same desires that we have as described in Genesis 3.6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to Make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. It was like we were there. We felt as though we were there with Eve in the garden when she saw that that tree was good for food. We were with her when she wanted that forbidden fruit because it would taste good. It would, it would make us feel good. She saw that tree was pleasant to the eyes. She wanted the forbidden fruit because it was beautiful to look at. She saw that the tree would be desired to make her wise. And she wanted that forbidden fruit because she wanted to add to her prestige, add to her reputation by making her wise. Collectively, these three interests to physically feel good, to physically look on something beautiful, to improve the prestige and the reputation are called the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They're described in 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And we know that this is all that the world has to offer us. All that the world can give us is to make us physically feel good, satisfying the lust of the flesh. All that the world can give us is to give us something beautiful to look at, satisfying the lust of the eyes. All that the world can give us is to increase our prestige and our reputation, satisfying the pride of life. And it's those three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life that caused Eve and us to disobey God and fall into this state of sin. And we see it so clearly as we're standing at the laver. That's why James said in James 4.4, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. But the world's attractive to us because we have these three basic desires inside us. And these three desires make up the self the self-life. But setting our life goal to fulfill the self-life or to fulfill our natural lust of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life makes us an enemy of God. A friend of the world 
but makes us an enemy of God. So we feel, especially as believers, this internal conflict, this terrible conflict, this horrifying war going on inside of us. And Paul wrote about it in Romans 7, 18 through 25, where he said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it's no more that I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's the question, the answer he gave in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. When Paul looked inside of himself, he saw the same thing we see inside of ourselves, that lust of the flesh, of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he concluded, in me, there's no good thing, no good thing. But Paul saw also that in ourselves, we have this propensity, this desire to fulfill, to satisfy these lusts. And like all believers, Paul had the desire to say that he was just going devil word. And because he was saying yes to these lusts, and he wanted to say no to these lusts and to obey God. And so he expressed it like this, to will is present with me. So on the one hand, we're like Eve in the garden, pulled in the direction, devil word, of saying, I come first. If it comes down to what I want versus what God wants, I'm going to go with what I want. But we, like Paul, are so disturbed by this, and we ask the question, who's going to win this battle? So when we come to this question that Paul asked, how to perform, the tabernacle will give us the secret later to overcoming self. But now we turn from the labor, and we see this big brazen altar it's a place of death. And looking just, just before we get up close to it, we just look at the whole scene before us. It's a scene of animals being slain. It's a scene of blood collected. It's a scene of blood applied. And just looking at that, we repeat the words of Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. And seeing all that blood, we understand how the blood is a protection. The blood protects from the judgment of our sins. And as we understand this, we repeat the words of Exodus twelve thirteen, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And seeing that blood on the altar, we think of how God accepted the blood to purchase our souls. 
We repeat the words of 1 Peter 18 through 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And then standing there at the altar, we remember all the good works that we tried to offer to God to gain our entrance into heaven. And then we make a simple three-word confession before God as we say, not good enough. Not good enough to get us into heaven. All of our works were not good enough And we repeat the words of Galatians 2.16. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Standing there, we can see through the altar and we see the cross. We see the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we make a simple two-word confession to God. Seeing that cross, we just say, good enough. It was good enough. The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ is good enough to get us into heaven. And standing at that altar, we think that redemption was not by our works, but it was all by God's mercy and grace. And as we stand there at the altar, we start to think more about the gift of God, and we repeat the words of Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And then we repeat the words of Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then the most famous verse in the Bible comes to our mind, John 3.16, and we repeat those words as we look at the altar and we say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And standing at that altar, we understand the impact it comes to us of two words, for me. It was done for me. And we repeat the words of 1 Corinthians 15.3, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And then we feel a great need to respond to God. And so standing at the altar, we repeat the words of 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Standing there again at the altar, we realize we can't move one step until we take the Lord Jesus Christ to be our lamb, until we make him the sacrifice for our souls. And so we repeat the words of John 1, 12 through 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then at that altar, We do exactly what that verse says, and we bow our heads, and we say to God, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my God and my Savior. And then thinking of the promise that God made of a new life that comes from 
the second birth of receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, we repeat the simple words of 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. And before we turn from that altar, we say a simple phrase, I have the Son, I have life. We turn now to enter in through the curtains of the holy place. And we do that. And we're standing in the holy place and we look up and we see these beautiful ceiling coverings. And as we see them, we repeat the words of John 1.14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we realize that with our new life, In the Lord Jesus Christ, we need light for our souls. And we make our way over to the lampstand. And standing in front of that lampstand, we repeat the words of John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And from those words we understand that now the Lord Jesus Christ will be the light in our new life. And we realize that he will give us this light through his Bible. And understanding that, we repeat the words of Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. And then we walk from the lampstand over to the table of showbread. And we see its loaves of bread there, and we realize that the days of our soul emptiness are over. They're gone. Because with our new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, He will now satisfy our souls. And then we make our way over to the altar of incense. And with our new life, we understand we have security forever we will never be lost. Because when we look at that altar, we understand the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for us. And standing there at the altar of incense, we also think that our new life is going to be a life of prayer. And we repeat three words from the verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Then we turn And we look at the great veil of separation. The veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And we remember that it was our sins that separated us from God. And then as we stand there and we look at this great veil that bars us, we remember how on the cross, when the Lord Jesus Christ finished his great work of redemption, that he cried out the words in John 19.30, it is finished. And when he said that, the veil was torn. And then we are inside the Holy of Holies. And we see the ark. And we see all the gold of the ark. And we're reminded from the gold that the Lord Jesus Christ is God. And we repeat the words of John 1.1 and Hebrews 1.3, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was 
God. And we see inside the ark, the pot of manna. And when we see the pot of manna, we repeat the words of Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And then we see inside the ark Aaron's rod that budded. And we repeat the words of Matthew 7, 28 through 29. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And then we see in the ark the two tables of stone with the law on it. And we're no longer afraid of the law. And then we go and repeat the words of Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that which are in Christ Jesus. And then inside the ark, we see the scroll with the words of the covenant or testament. And we repeat the words from the Last Supper where the Lord Jesus Christ held up that glass of wine. And in Matthew 26, 28, he said, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And when we see the great cover of the ark, the ark cover, and we know that that's where we will meet with God. And as we look carefully, we notice the blood that's been sprinkled on the four horns of the ark ark cover. And we repeat the words as we think of how we were so far away from God in the past. And we say the words of Ephesians 2.13, but now... In Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And then as we look there, we see the cherubim looking at each other with their wings stretched over the place where we're going to meet with God. And we understand this is a secret place. This is a protected place. And we repeat the words of Moses in Psalm 91.1, when he said, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And when we look around, we see there's no artificial light in here. And yet, there's no windows in here. And yet, it's light all in this room. And we see there's a bright light over the ark a bright light, and this light is illuminating the whole room, and we understand it represents the presence, and it is the glory of God. And we remember when Moses met with God on Mount Sinai, and the light was so bright, it was reflected in his face, and we repeat the words of Exodus 34, 35, and the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with God. And then we come to the place we'll meet with God, the ark cover. And as we meet with God there, we admire his beauty. And we worship him for who he is. And then something amazing happens to us as we're meeting there with God and admiring Him and worshiping Him, we are receiving strength and we're getting stronger. And the strength we now have to overcome self and live in victory over the sin 
that destroyed us. And before we leave the tabernacle, we understand from the tabernacle just how to live our new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we resolve that daily we will meet with him in our daily quiet time. We'll meet with him to learn more about him. We'll meet with him to admire him, more of his beauty. We'll meet with him to find more of his strength we need every day to overcome self. God bless you, and may the lessons and meaning of the tabernacle be a part of our lives as we seek to become stronger believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you've enjoyed our Thursday through Friday message series on the tabernacle this month. We hope that those of you who are located near San Diego, California, can come out to visit the opening of our tabernacle on Saturday, September 29th on Museum Day at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. There you'll be able to meet Tom Cantor and Ray Comfort and other guest speakers as we open up the sight and sound display of the tabernacle exhibit there, as well as the Age of the Earth Cave. You can find more information at creationsd.org or call us today at 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051. You can also call us if you would like to reach a Jewish person with the gospel. We can get a Tom Cantor Testimony DVD into your hands in booklet or DVD format. So please call us today at 1-800-247-3051. We also have other Jewish resources and information available at israelrestoration.org. That's israelrestoration.org. You can also find free copies of today's message to download at friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for joining us today and join us again next week.